You're listening to another inspiring teaching from Devonport Church of Christ, Tasmania, Australia. For more information about our church, please log on to www.devonportcoc.com.au. Happy Christmas, everybody. If you're a guest here this morning, welcome. Uh, my name's uh, Pastor Blake Moore, and it's a great honour to host you here today for Christmas Day. Uh, we had an amazing uh, Christmas Eve service last night, and I'm glad that you're here uh, today. Have you ever played the game hide-and-seek? I bet you have. I know you have. Every, most people here have uh, played the game hide-and-seek as a kid with your friends. It was, for me, it was one of the after-dinner games that the kids in my street would play during Daylight Saving they, the, the way we played it as kids is that there was one seeker chosen and uh, everyone else was the hiders and every time uh, we'd rotate the, the idea uh, that everyone would be the chance to be the seeker, everyone had it one least turn and, the, and you know how it goes, right? The seeker would count to, well for us, would count to zero to 50. Uh, for some kids, you know, just use your, your 10 fingers if you couldn't count. And uh, so you count one to 50, and then the, the seeker would yell out, Yeah, ready or not, here I come. Scott, you played that yesterday, I can tell. Um, <laughs> ready or not, that's right, ready or not, here I come. And the search would begin, and the winner was the last one found. Uh, at first, it was pretty easy to find the hiders, I can recall. Very f- easy to find the hiders, but as the evening wore on, it became darker. And finding people became harder. And that was because the darkness became actually part of your hiding, your hiding uh, place. And you could sometimes even move to another hiding place without being seen, but that was, that was against the rules. And mum would call us in to get ready for bed, and it always seemed that it was the, at the time that the game was just heating up because it was the easiest for the hiders and most challenging for the seekers because of the dark. The darkness had become our friend. And while the sun was out, it was our enemy, so to speak, and the sun made it harder for us to hide because there weren't as many good hiding places. Light and darkness had an impact upon the game of hide-and-seek as a kid, and I just want to suggest this morning that light and darkness is still having an impact upon uh, the world in 2022 and on our lives since day dot and the very first Christmas. Um, Our church has been in a series throughout Advent called The Gift Exchange, And we have been noting all the things that we, because of the first Christmas, all the things that we receive from God uh, and all the things that we we give to him. Uh, Maybe our gifts gifts that we give back to him aren't uh, aren't as special as what we receive for him, but because of Christmas, we can have a gift exchange. We can receive, actually we talked about, we can receive hope for hopelessness, joy for grief, peace for worry. And on this Christmas Day, I want to talk to you about a gift exchange, light for darkness. Light for darkness. Uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago that the book of Isaiah is actually packed with messianic promises. The prophet Isaiah prophesied to, about the Messiah's coming around 700 years before Jesus was actually, was actually born. In the book of Isaiah, the Messiah is often referred to as a light in the darkness, a light in the darkness. One of those prophecies is, was found in, is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, and it says this, the people who walk in darkness <coughs> will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. 
And the context of that passage, that was indeed great news for the exiles in Babylon to hear that even though they're living in darkness, but a light was coming. And I want to suggest to you today that that's still great news. It's still great news now in 2022. I'm sure I don't need to tell you today that the world is a dark place. That the world indeed is a, a dark place. I was actually, this is true, I was actually thinking a, couple, a few weeks ago when I was thinking about this message, I was thinking, uh, what, what illustration, you know, a preacher wants, you know, give me an illustration, Lord. I want an illustration to, illu- to, to help with this sermon. And I thought, you know, nothing was coming. And I thought to myself, you know what I'll do? I'll wait a while. Because I'm sure the world will give me something. And sure enough, waited a while and sure enough, the other week, with the tragic murder of those two policemen and the neighbour in Queensland. The world is indeed a dark place. It's a dark world out there. Financial pressures, inflationary pressures, interest rate rises. The war in Europe is still being fought with no end in sight. We have a mental health emergency in our nation. Mental health crisis in our nation where darkness invades, invades the minds of so many lives, even children and, depre- and teenagers struggling with depression. Darkness is not just... See, darkness is now not just part of a 24-hour period at night time. It's become a way of life. And I've been asking this question, you know, like, uh, is the world getting any better? If you were to ask me, Pastor, is the world getting any better? We, is it going to get any better in 2023? Is it going to be any different? Are we going to see a turnaround economically? Are we going to see a turnaround socially and politically? Uh, are we going to see change, things change for the better? And I just want to, yeah, I know it's Christmas, but I just want to say this, don't put your house on it. It's going to take a lot more than that. I was, um, have you ever realised how darkness exposes reality? Darkness exposes reality. I was wondering... Not that I have much experience with this, Alison and I don't roll this way, but uh, I was wondering about romantic candlelight dinners. <laughs> I was wondering why people have romantic candlelight dinners. I know it's the romance. Um, but uh, is it because in a darkened room we all look a lot better? <laughs> you know, like all our flaws and all our wrinkles and... Loss of hair is not so noticeable, but for someone like me, the darkness ain't, no one's going to help me. (laughs) But have you ever noticed that? That the darkness conceals the reality. Do you ever notice that most crimes are committed in darkness? Why is that? I was reading online uh, that this is actually happening at the moment as we speak in South Africa. In Johannesburg, in South Africa at the moment, they are actually switching off the electricity grid every single night. It was on the news, I watched it the other day, and they're switching off the electricity grid in Joburg every single night because they don't have enough baseload power for the whole city. And so what's basically happening, there are actually, this is true, there are entire suburbs in Johannesburg that at night time are in complete and utter darkness. And in some, some places in Joburg, they're slums and so there's no street light. So there's no nothing like that. So if you don't have a generator, 
If you're not rich enough to have a generator, you are at the moment, at this Christmas in, in South Africa, in Johannesburg, you are living at nighttime in complete darkness. And guess what's happened? in the last few months while this has been happening. The crime rate has skyrocketed in a nation that is already among one of the most dangerous nations on the planet to live. There was a time in the beginning when the world was in darkness and then God the Father, through his son Jesus Christ, created with words, let there be light. My original parents, my original parents, Adam and Eve, knew what it was like to walk in the light and to have relationship with one another, and to be in a relationship with God that was unbroken. But then our, then our first parents sinned, and darkness entered the entire world, and everything from creation to humankind was affected and infected by what the Bible says is sin. See, friends, I'm going to tell you, it all got broke. It all got broke. It was all going well until Genesis chapter 3, and it all got broke. And then there's the story of God in the Old Testament, uh, desiring relationship with Israel. And then there's a, a part, there's 400 years, which is called the intertestamental period between the, 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 the end of Malachi and the start of the, the New Testament. And it's called the silent years. It's 400 years and God is not saying a thing. The prophets are silent. 400 years of silence. After 400 years of silence, enter Jesus, enter the first Christmas, as Jesus was born in a filthy stable or probably a cave to a poor Galilean teenage girl. And the synoptic gospels, which simply means similar, the synoptic gospel writers tell us about the details and the history and the narrative and the geniality of Jesus. But you know what John's gospel does? He takes a different tact. He comes from the angle of divinity. Jay, Jay read it out before, but let me just um, read it to you. John chapter 1, 1 to 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. He's talking about Jesus. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John, talking about John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might, all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to to that which was his own, Israel, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or even a husband's will but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Jesus, I know that Jesus, we're celebrating Jesus as a baby in a manger, but he grew up. But let me tell you, Jesus is Alpha and Omega. Jesus is Alpha and Omega in the big, he's the beginning and the end. Uh, you may not know this, but I want to just clarify this and correct this for you today. Do you know that Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem? Jesus did not, he, he did not begin in a manger. Uh, 
in a stable near Bethlehem. Jesus is pre-existent. He has always been, always will. Jesus was there at the foundation of the earth. Jesus became God in human flesh. Jesus took on, God took on a real human body in that moment. But Jesus was around at the beginning of time, yeah? He's been around always. E. Stanley Jones, who's uh, actually a, a famous missionary to the nation of India, he tried to think of a way to tell the people particularly in India, about the love of God in Jesus. And he said, suppose a farmer is ploughing a field and he came upon an anthill teeming with ants. How, how, how does the farmer warn the ants to get out of the way of impending doom and, and the plough? And there's, well, there's only one way, isn't there? There was only one way to communicate to the ants, to actually become an ant and give them a warning in their own language. And when we do that, all of them who would listen, would be saved. And in Jesus, God stepped out of heaven to communicate his plan of salvation. Jesus became one of us to communicate to us in our own language and tell us that God loves us. And tell us that God loves you. And God loves me. He loves us so much that he became an ant, so to speak to reach the ants. I mean, your mind can't even get your head around it that the God who flung stars into space, the God who spoke, became a, a baby into a, a poor Galilean teenage girl. I mean, it's so subversive, it's not funny. And the world changed. He became a man to reach mankind for you to know Jesus, friends, is for you to know God today. So Jesus is Alpha and Omega, but John also tells us uh, that Jesus is life and light. John declared that Jesus is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He also declared that Jesus is life and light. Ever since the brightness of the star, brightness of heaven flooded the hills of Bethlehem, and that star appeared in eastern wise men. Followed it to the newborn king. Christ has been the light of the world. It has been celebrated. We celebrate Christmas today with lights, don't we? Jesus is the light of the world and there's so many lights. You know, uh, where I live at the moment, there's a, there's a couple of houses that it's like the you know, Christmas vacation with Chevy Chase, man. Like it's seriously, like they're lighting up the whole... I'm glad I'm not paying the electricity bill, I'll tell you that. And all the cars, they're, you know, they're blocking up my, my street and everything like this. And It's not my street, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but there's just so many cars and, and, and people, they flock to see the colourful lights on the houses and, and yet the lights switch off every night and in a couple of days they'll pull them down. But John's talking about a light that never, that shines in the darkness that, that never, ever, ever goes out. John chapter 1, 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Another translation says the darkness has not overcome it. At the time of Christ's birth, the Roman government was actually experiencing unprecedented prosperity. But the Roman officials were living in complete moral darkness. In Roman society, at the time of Jesus' birth, working at a common labour, and common labour job was actually a disgrace. The middle class had disappeared 
And in the empire at this time, there are around six million slaves. There was one emperor who was called Vitilius, who, that in less than eight months, while he was emperor of Rome, the Roman Empire, he spent several million dollars on special feasts. Family life for a Roman had once been a sacred thing. And do you realise that for 520 years in the Roman Empire, divorce never existed? Divorce was not even part of family life. But in the time of Christ, a person of prestige was actually known by the number of divorces the person had. Divorce was actually celebrated in the Roman Empire. Children were regarded as a burden and their education was handed over to slaves. The practice of abortions was actually a general custom in Rome at the birth of Christ. One of the historians at the time, Tacitus, who's a secular Roman historian, he said this about the Roman Empire at the time, to corrupt and be corrupt is the spirit of the times. To corrupt and be corrupt is the spirit of the times. And I'd just like to suggest this morning that I'm not sure too much has changed in our Australian culture over 2,000 years down the track. There's a lot of similarities, is there not? We need the light of Christ to shine forth in our darkness and show us the way. We need Jesus' light to shine not only on the darkness in the world, but the darkness within my life and the darkness within your life. As sinful creatures, we love to cover up in the darkness. But the light of Christ shines and exposes our sin. Jesus is the spiritual light that shines not only into the darkness of this world, but it also shines into the darkness at times of my soul and your soul to bring everlasting life to all who will believe in him. John chapter 3, 17 to 19, the verses after the famous one, John 3, 16, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? Saved. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. The word become flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Eugene Peterson's message uh, translation, I love this, he says, the word become flesh and blood and moved into the neighbourhood. God moved into the neighbourhood. The word, church, the word became flesh. God put on flesh and dwelt among us. And I I think that might be the most important verse in the whole Bible. That God put on flesh. The doctrine of the incarnation. And that is the core truth of the Christmas story. That God put on flesh and dwelt among us. Let me tell you something. If you don't have Christmas in your heart, you won't find it under a tree. Hello? If you don't have it in your heart, no matter what you've got under your tree, you might have the latest iPad Pro. If you don't have Christmas and Christ in your heart, you won't find Christmas under a tree today. And the core truth of the Christmas story is that God put on flesh and dwelt among us. I love this. At the first Christmas... God never mailed it in. Do you know what I mean by that? Like he never mailed it in. He just never went through the motions. Like he never delegated it to the top angel. It's personal to God. He sent his one, for God so loved the world that he sent 
His son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's personal to God. And what does that tell me? And I'm wondering what that tells you today. That God sent his son. He loves us so much and it's personal. It tells, us, it tells me that God is concerned about my life. And God is concerned about your life today. And God is concerned about humanity and this world. <clears throat> I know a lot of people think, and maybe this is your understanding today, like, you know, God's just wound up the world and he's letting it tick away and he's just disconnected from the world and he doesn't care about pain, he doesn't care about suffering, he doesn't care about those things. The incarnation today is proof that God cares. The incarnation today that God put on flesh is proof that God loves you, is proof that God loves us and it's proof that God loves the world. He put on flesh. I'll use a, I'll use a uh, biblical word here, tabernacled. God tabernacled amongst us. He tabernacled amongst us. And that gives me courage. And that gives me confidence that God cares. He came full of grace and truth, John says. And that tells me something about me. And it tells me something about you that I am not worthy of God's gift of Jesus. But through Jesus... God gives me something that I don't deserve salvation. A lot of people say, you know, and maybe you're one of them, a lot of people say, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure that God would have a place where people are, uh, hell we call it, that are uh, excluded from God. I can't believe God would do something like that. Maybe you think that. Do you know what I think? I can't believe that God lets me into heaven. Do you know me? I can't believe that, he, that, that, that I be, I'm worthy because I'm, I'm not worthy of God's gift of Jesus. I don't deserve salvation. And there's so many people today that are so inundated with commercialism that today is not the joyous, you know, what a wonderful time of the year. Baloney for a lot of people. And people are surrounded by commercialism. But I think it's a good practice for us to remember today God's grace during this, this time. We don't deserve the love of God. But since God is loving, he came to save us from ourselves. He came to help us understand the true meaning of love, that in Christ we find the full expression of God's love. Last week, I know many of you are guests here today and welcome, but last week I had the profound privilege to lead the first anniversary for the Hillcrest, uh, Hillcrest Remembrance Service for the Hillcrest Tragedy I would say over 12 months ago now. And it was the deepest honour to have four of the six families here in this space the other Thursday night. Something, something struck me though, that service. In the second row, you had one of the, the kids' family who's from a socioeconomic background that many of us cannot relate to. And then in the front row, the whole front row was power. The governor of Tasmania, the premier of Tasmania, Rebecca White, the opposition leader, the mayor, all the MPs. And I thought to myself, isn't it interesting? That group of people are so close together, they'll never be in that position ever again, pretty much. But I got thinking that the gospel message 
is a message to the lowly shepherds. And let me tell you something, the gospel message at Christmas speaks directly to power. An interesting thing, and it was a great honour to, to have them here. And yeah, everyone in that room, from the second row to the first row, they all put, I realised that they probably put all their clothes on the same way and they most likely go to the toilets the same way. And that we all have the same need, and I don't care who you are today, that every single one of us has the need of a saviour. The word became flesh, the Bible says. The word became flesh. Just to let you know, Mary and Joseph weren't white. They're from the Middle East. The word became flesh... And that's the point today of celebrating Christmas, that God left, that God left the portals of heaven and dwelled in a human body among us. He came to save us. He came to love us and he came to show us the truth. And among your Christmas celebrations today, and I hope they're wonderful and I hope you don't overcook the turkey and pray for me as well with the ham, but... With amongst all those things and all your celebrations today, I pray that you would take the time, take a moment, take the time to focus on the core essential truth of the season, that God wants to meet with you this Christmas season, that God wants to tabernacle with you, that God put on flesh. (laughs) That's the best Christmas present that you'll ever, ever receive. There was a great gift exchange that took place at Christmas. That God gave himself to man. But you know what? I think there's an even greater miracle. When man chooses to give himself to God. God was and is the seeker and we no longer need to hide in the darkness. But we get to receive light. For darkness. Happy Christmas, everybody.